What's up, everybody? Uh, welcome to episode 38 of the Harmonics Podcast. Yeah, we're gonna guess 38. Leave it all. Leave all this in. Goal. I'm sure there's a date code joke to make. All right. So uh, today we've got kind of a special uh, episode for you all. One I think you'll you'll find interesting. We've gathered uh, all stars from Harmonics's uh, hardware department. Um, over the years, uh, there have been a lot of people in and out, right? So, um, yeah. Uh, so we've got a Motley crew here right now. We've got uh, Mr. Daniel Sussman. We've got Mr. Nate Stoddard and Mr. Todd Baker. Um, each of you have gone on. Your current roles are not what they were when you spent time in the hardware department, which is kind of interesting. We'll get to that later. But the idea was we just sort of give like an oral history of Harmonix's hardware we're a very hardware peripheral based company. Our games have been in the past. Um, starting with Guitar Hero. Yo, wake up. Wake up. Wake up, Daniel. Pope, can, can we start talking? Yes, now? please. Please do. So it's funny. It's like you mentioned Guitar Hero. Actually, Guitar Hero for Harmonics was very much a software centric project, and it had a very, like, you know, significant hardware aspect, but like, you know, Red Octane handled kind of all of the sort of behind the curtain aspects of, of the design and manufacture and distribution for that first guitar peripheral. And, you know, we'd actually be sitting in this office over here and, you know, every four months or so something would show up and we'd be like, well, that, that's got potential, but like, you know, these buttons feel kind of shitty and I don't know, it does, the whammy bar doesn't work and, you know, are they going to are they going to pull this off? And, you know, to their credit, they did, but we had no idea what was happening kind of in the machine behind. But they did it, and I think, you know, as we sort of moved towards Rock Band, the fact that they did it for whatever, like, uninformed reason gave so our, simple at the time. our management team was like, oh, yeah, we could probably do that, <laughs> you know? And so... How hard could it be? Exactly, and I think there was, you know, so so they they sort of in classic harmonic fashion assembled a cabal, <laughs> like a secret society of like our best and brightest designers to design a drum set and design a guitar, and you know they they we pulled in actually to our credit we didn't do it all internally we pulled in a couple of external resources we worked with a guy called uh, named John Hayes who was an in, he, well he is an industrial designer he actually. Um, worked for Microsoft, and that's sort of how we were introduced to him. He uh, he designed the the Xbox 360 controller. Oh wow! You know he had a, a great pedigree, great guy, genius ID guy. So he he kind of came in and would sit in the meetings and take great notes and be like, "All right, Greg says he wants it to be like you know substantial and you know hefty, and Aran says he wants it to be lightweight and you know ethereal, and so <laughs> all right, I got to take that and build it into a design that will make everybody happy. Go, you know, and and he did a good job of sort of working with kind of our 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 design cabal on the hardware stuff for Rock Band One, and sort of forming that into a spec. And the other guy that we joined into a relationship with was a guy named Andy Rifkin, who everybody knows like really well, or at least everybody on the hardware team. <laughs> Andy, we knew through our board of directors, actually. He worked at Mattel with uh, one of our other, one of the other guys on the board. And when Mike Dornbrook was sort of 
being like, I, I, you know, I think building stuff in China is actually kind of hard. Do we know anybody who can do this for us? Like, this guy was like, if you need something built in quantity for short money, Andy's your guy. There's no one better in the business. It just turns out that Andy is, like, kind of crazy. And I, I say this with, like, the deepest respect. You know, he taught me... Like so. Anyway, I, I mean, crazy is uh, not a bad. We'll thing. we'll get we'll get Crazy's to Andy. There's yeah. a lot of Andy stories. But so Andy basically was, you know, his his email, which I think tells a lot of kind of his personality, is toyinventor at hotmail dot com. Like it was, <laughs> he's just like he is a guy whose career has been founded on inventing toys. He That's is, awesome. and he's had a very successful career. He's also a master of the one-word reply. <laughs> he, he's a guy that probably could have... emails. Hit, they're, they're <laughs> no, it's like, he had, it, it's like his BlackBerry responses were like fantastically cryptic and oh, like yeah, poorly spelled yeah. and everything. It's oh, before amazing. autocorrect. His, his emails were before No, I think he trained his autocorrect. I think, you know, it's, I don't know. There's a whole... I'm I have sure he'll love that you gave there. out his email address to. If anybody has any great ideas about things they'd like to see Bill, I recommend getting in touch with him because he can really... He'll make your dreams come true. He did for us. The, the, the thing with him is that, you know, he, he has this fantastic network in, like, the, all over the world, right, of people who just get shit done for him. And, you know, he invented uh, Barbie fashion Barbie, designers. Wow. You know, it's like that's... The Barbie fashion designer? Yes. Wow. He invented it with his daughter. And, you know, it's like, he's, you walk, like, so in, in Hong Kong... Like, or in any factory, actually, you sort of, the, one of the first things you do when you walk into an office or, like, an industrial design house or a factory or whatever is they kind of take you into their showroom yeah. where you get to see all the stuff that these people have built. Oh, that's and cool. that's a trip with Andy. Yeah, it's a lot Well, because he just walks around. He's like, I did that. I did that. I invented Monopoly. <laughs> I invented, the, you know, <laughs> This whatever. one sold really well. This one didn't do too well, but it's really, it's kind of fun. Try it out. <laughs> this wow. one, you know, I based the ID on my business partner, Saul. It kind of looks like a monkey with a, like, right head of hair. You know, it's like, th there's all kinds of... This one, I wanted to make a talking banana, but, like... <laughs> We ran out of material. Exactly. So it's a talking coconut instead because we couldn't, you know, we only had brown plastic, not yellow. Ah, I don't know. But, you know, so you walk into these factory showrooms and, you know, they're enormous spaces and it's like, it's paradise for like a nine-year-old boy because there's toys everywhere. And they all work. Oh, yeah, they do. I was impressed. So before I get too far, can I ask, were you just asked like, hey, Daniel, can you head up this brand new department? Manufacturing stuff. Have you ever done that before? Great question. No, I had never done that before. I'm a so my my background is sort of in like I don't know what. Like I you know I'm a Berkeley grad. I'm a musician. I sort of worked my career sideways into like product management at Harmonix, and I you know I, I I'm very proud of the work that I did on Guitar Hero and GH2. I was the project leader on GH2, and then as we were sort of making this transi transition away from Guitar Hero into Rock Band, you know, Rock Band already sort of had a management staff. Greg was the project leader. He's our VP of product development. And, you know, he, he sort of, you know, he had it, he had it covered on the software side, but he had his hands full, like managing this cabal that I was talking about with John and Andy. So, you know, we were also getting into a relationship with Fender and, you know, we, like I got dubbed as the producer of external relationships, which... Um, for those of you looking to get into game development, if anybody ever gives you that title, run screaming <laughs> from the building. Like it, it basically meant that like 
you know, I dealt with all this stuff that nobody understood. <laughs> we don't know how to do wanted this. to deal. Go get it. <laughs> and so, you know, quickly that turned into like working with John and Andy full time because you know, it became like quickly apparent that we were getting into this world of which we knew nothing about, which required like, you know, huge expenditures of money. It's like just to kind of like pay for the models, pay for the tooling, which we'll get into, you know, there's just, there, there are hundreds of thousands of dollars that need to be spent on like infrastructure in Asia just to, just to even see a sample of what it is you want to build. And on the flip side, design in hardware, which we'll also get into, is very different from design in software in the sense mm. that uh, if you get something wrong, you can't patch it. You all of a sudden are dealing with like stakes that are so high, you know, people will die or go to jail <laughs> or, you know, I mean, n no joke. It's like, you know, it's like you deal, you start getting into international import export law yeah. and materials law and if yeah. like, you know, yeah. if I mean, you, everybody remembers what happened to Mattel a couple of years ago when they had that magnet that came loose and, you know, some baby choked on it. And all of a sudden there was this swing of legislation that, you know, it's like a guy yeah. in China hung himself out of shame. And wow. like, it, it, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's really <laughs> serious when you're dealing <laughs> yeah. with like mass market manufacturing. Yeah. Like if you get stuff wrong, you are hosed. Right. And even if people don't die or go to jail, it costs a fortune to fix these problems because you can't access stuff through software you actually have to send poor nate into factories with a <laughs> sharpie to like tag d dates of boxes that might be bad i mean it's like you know and and you're dealing with you know unions and trade law and oh security God. and press and all of this stuff and it's a it's an absolute clusterfuck so um so I, I inherited all of that. And, you know, I had, like, I'm not an engineer. I don't have an engineering background. And I made my first trip to China in, like, May of 2007, I think. And, you know, it was, it was awesome and terrifying. You know, it's, we, we, I went with a handful of folks from uh, EA who were our distributor. And yep. for a lot of them, it was their first foray into international manufacturing as well. So, you know, you know, everybody was... There was this awesome moment where one of the one of the distribution people from EA were getting the factory tour and she noticed that the workers had a Velcro band around their wrist that was strapped to the table. And so what that's about is it's for grounding because wow. static electricity will actually wipe a chip if if you yeah. if okay. you discharge any, you know, if you discharge on the chip. And so she turns to me at the end of the tour and is like did you see how they were chained to the <laughs> China is awful. Oh, we no. should not be doing business with these factories, at which point Andy had to swoop in and be like, no, 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 we only work with good factories. I know people who do bad things in China, but these are good. These are the good guys, you know, and right. they're all certified, like, you know, every which way. They, they make stuff for, you know, all the big yeah, folks. Andy wasn't valuable that way. I mean, the, the factories that we were hooked up with were top-notch, right. like, straightforward good yeah. legit companies that were really great to work with very accommodating very capable very very good no and in fact you know it's like the so the, the long and short of it is that like we took our first trip 
were like, holy mother fuck. At that, we are at, at that point, did we heads. only have one factory or did we already have them like? No, no, no. So we had no factories. Oh. And they'd been working with like okay. a single factory, Qualamin actually, which is a factory. Mm. They, they do work for Mattel. They do work for, you know, they're another toy factory in the middle of nowhere in, in southern China. <laughs> Made good uh, four drums. hours away from Made civilization. <laughs> um, they were doing the prototype development largely with John Hayes. And then, like, we'd get stuff back and there'd be crosstalk and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, weeks are going by, weeks are going by, and it's hard, you know, it, the hardware stuff works slowly. I mean, it moves slowly just because, you know, you have people carving the stuff out of plastic. And, you know, it's, it's not just like, oh, let's compile and, like, look at a build. You know, it's like, okay, then. You have these craftsmen carving it, you know, with like modeling tools out of plastic or whatever, and then they put it on a boat <laughs> and it shows up like seven weeks later, or oh. they fly it in, you know. But it's still it, it it was this like very time consuming process just to to see incremental progress on guitars and drums for Rock Band One, and. So I ended up spending a lot of my time out there. We sort of phased John out as kind of the creative designer who was still sort of trying to iterate on stuff. And, and you know, Andy moved into more of a, like, management role on the factory side to, to, to start making it, mm -hmm. you know, because, you know, all the while what's happening with Rock Band 1 is that expectations kind of in the marketplace were skyrocketing. And so... You know, a dirty little secret about Rock Band is that, like, when it was first conceived of, it was, we were thinking it would mostly be, like, sold as, you know, it's like the original pitches were, like, five games in one. You can play guitar or bass or drums or vocals or as a band, you know, and as kind of things evolved, it really became, like, it's a band game. And so all of the original forecasts for Rock Band 1 hardware we're like, oh, we'll do a little bit of guitars, we'll do a lot of drums, and we'll sell it all separately, and then people will just sort of, like, bring their peripherals over their friend's house and play together. And then, you know, out of nowhere, it was like, no, we actually want three million bundles, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so we've been working, we've been working wow. with one factory, and then it was like, wait a second, we need more than one factory. Yeah, scaling like that is not a simple, like, <laughs> no, and just change like the three months in the to get it all done oh and do all God. the quality control and all of this stuff. And here's the so the other piece of this is that, like, it was me who's like got no engineering background, Andy, who has never worked in video games before, a handful of suits from EA and kind of MTV and harmonics who were like, you know, <laughs> I, you know, they. they <laughs> They meant well, but they didn't really bring a lot of value to the engineering discussion. Sure. Uh, and the factories. Well, and and then there was being up against the time and just like practically trying to get the design vision, which often from any industrial designer is not exactly what you can make. Yeah. So there's a lot of like iteration and process that needs to happen in order to make a sort of a vision as as realized as possible that like exactly. i'm sure you, and you only get a chance at what like you, you only have x number of iterations before you actually have to ship the final product well right? you start like, working backwards from a ship date and so you say okay if we want to be on the marketplace you know if we want to actually be on a store shelf in you know september 1st for example uh okay there's two weeks in the u.s to kind of deal with getting the software and like you know distribution with ea and sort of managing kind of you know, how to get from a central warehouse in the United States out to every store in the country. 
before that two weeks, you have 10 weeks on a boat. And like, you know, before that, you have sort of two to three weeks just to get from factory on the boat. And then before that, you have the actual manufacture and like, you know, regulatory you know, testing yeah. and, and all the things you have to do. I mean, honestly, it, it, it backs up several, several months sure. to the point where we're typically done at least with the later projects. I mean, we're still kind of talking about the early days, but the later projects, we were we were done by like March with with designs <laughs> right. for, that are going to launch in the Christmas season. So. Yeah, but so and 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 at the flip side, when you're done in March for a design that's going out in the Christmas season, the software's not done until June. Yep. So a whole host you know, of issues. the game isn't working. We don't know. How, we 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 have no software to test the hardware. On the flip side, the the software team is like, "Hey, we can't make this game that's about guitars. If we don't have any guitars. <laughs> right. I don't know how the drums work. Yep. What do we do? You know." And and so you get into this like, you know, relationship that's very difficult to manage. And we 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 had a piece of that with Guitar Hero, mm -hmm. and and we complained bitterly about the fact that we didn't have enough guitars to test with, and that the guitars we'd get were like flaky and you know and 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 yet I don't think we fully internalized that it would be no different when we were making the hardware you know and yeah. and so you know I think there was a, a a strong element of education you know for me personally just to sort of peek behind the curtain and see how much effort goes into those like flaky prototypes and you know what kind of imagination you have to bring to bear on like what's a serious problem and what will get fixed with like actual tooled parts and like you know machined parts as opposed to hand built parts and you know i feel like the hardware team brought that sense of learning to the rest of the company so that you know people could look at a golden sample and be like oh i understand the neck's not as rigid as it wants to be that'll get fixed in tooling uh this other issue with the electronics maybe or whatever we really have to fix that before we ship anything right. you know and like everybody you know we got to the point where we had a, a pretty good handle on stuff but so i digress <laughs> and that's then, fine so here we are in this like shit show of like realization of like oh my god we have a ton of stuff to do so so i actually was able to hire two interns to help me <laughs> i hired my cousin uh, uh -huh. andrew um, who had grown up in Hong Kong, was fluent in kind of Mandarin and Cantonese, wow. and was an economics major at college. Um, but, you know, he had no experience <laughs> doing any of this either. And so, you know, he, he, he was kind of a guy that I was able to like, all right, Andy, I need you to go to SGS, the test lab, and like convince them to like knock, you know, prices off and give us the test results without a check because, you know, our finances... And are in turmoil because we're undergoing this transition from being independent to being owned by Viacom. Go. And he was like, uh, really? <laughs> okay. And he gets into a cab in China and like goes off to some place in Shenzhen. Then I wasn't sure I'd ever see him. Again. <laughs> um, and then the other guy that I hired was Matt Bach, who actually, um, you know, he had his story was that he is, was a Harvard grad who majored in kind of interactive music experiences. Mm -hmm. And so like his background was totally perfect for the kind of job that we were doing. But again, he had never done anything like this before. And so, you know, the three of us really turned into this like, you know, we spent months in Asia kind of in hotels looking up 
regulatory protocol and like California import law and trying to convince everybody that like, you know, we need to push dates back or pull quantities in or like, you know, that thing with the strum bar is not just going to fix itself. And like, you know, what do we do? And, and we had a lot of very difficult decisions to make. And we were like woefully understaffed. And in fact, I think that there were a lot of folks who didn't think we were going to pull it off. Yeah. And, you know, people at Microsoft, people, you know, it's like the other thing here is that like, you know, so we're dealing, you know, we were like the first third-party wireless device on the Xbox 360 and that was all technology that was just being developed and it was expensive they didn't have a real licensing system you know we were inventing wow. stuff just as this whole platform was getting off the ground uh, and it was insane yeah you know we had to convince Sony to let us use a USB dongle we had to write <laughs> a test spec for Nintendo Sorry. that would allow them to certify our hardware so of course we wrote the, the spec mm -hmm such that our hardware would pass. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell Nintendo. Nobody tell Nintendo. The whole world was completely unprepared for the, yeah. um, like oh the, um, the quantity of peripherals that we were pushing into the marketplace. You know? and, and, you Meanwhile, know, you had no idea whether anyone was even going to buy this game, right? Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, here's the thing is, you know, what, again, I will like, you know, lean heavily on like a deep-seated faith that like what I think is fun is fun for the rest of the world and it's not just me you know it's like you know I remember there were tons of nights where I'd be sitting alone in a China hotel with my like half working guitar and a half busted build of RB1 thinking oh my god this is really fucking fun and so you know I, I felt like we we understood that with kind of MTV behind us with EA behind us if we could just get this thing to market, it would be awesome. And, you know, yeah, and it was. Out, turned out well. Um, but so, like, the giant epiphany from Rock Band 1 was like, if we're going to do this, we got to do it for real, and we need to hire a staff, and it can't just be, like, me begging for, like, you know, art resources or programming resources. We actually need to, like, invest in a team of people who can do this. And so we started hiring folks, and our first higher i believe shit so this is where my my memory may be a little fuzzy but so we brought nate in yeah were you in before derek i was were you in before matt reinick yes all right so we brought nate in but paul was paul was in before matt it was derek PG. and then paul all right so we brought derek in who was like his he actually was a tinkerer, you know, he and he was a friend of like he came up in Providence with a bunch of folks who kind of are on our art staff, and he was just this sort of like DIY electronics wizard who didn't have a, a lot of experience making like had no experience making professional stuff, but you know he showed a like deep propensity for learning, and he was committed. He was awesome, and so he came in and he became like he actually emerged into our like oh, yeah. electronics guy yeah, he took on rv3 he, he had a key role in and basically designing the the electronics which andy alongside andy. andy did for rv1 and it was this like again there was this like weird curtain you know it's like we there was this element of translation both between us and andy and then andy and the chip fab people and and so having someone in house who really spoke that language was huge nate came in to be our our quality guy because we you know we knew that well, we learned firsthand that, like, holy shit, if, you, if your quality is not A+, plus, 
you are hosed. And to this day, I think Rock Band and Harmonics is like tarnished by this drum bar stuff that can, that 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 we saw with with RB1. And mm-hmm. you know, for the players out there who remember, you know, it's like if you compare that first Xbox wired guitar to the Mustang or even the you know the P9 stuff it's like you know I think that that charts out a progression that is a testament to the quality of the people that we brought on so we brought in Paul Gallo as a product manager and he really assisted me in sort of helping manage kind of third party like we also started getting a flood of people in the world who wanted to do licensed stuff Um, we brought in and, and Paul handled a lot of that stuff. We brought in Matt Reinick, who actually worked at First Act designing guitars. Um, and we brought him in specifically for P9, actually, for the Beatles game to, to do, you know, we, we really wanted the, the Hoffner and the Gretsch and the Rickenbacker peripherals to be, like, awesome and right. realistic. And, you know, and, and he, he did a fantastic job on that. We brought in Jim, who, before harmonics, Worked for Boeing on like space shuttle stuff, doing quality work, and <laughs> so it was named NASA Jim. You know, yeah. so you can't I, live that. Down. I think I've no. told you this, but like, so you know, I was like, we got to get this guy. He worked on the space shuttle, and to a T, every single person in senior management was like, wait a second, which space shuttle? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh no, God. no, it's one of the good ones. One of the good ones. Yeah. It's still fine. No, mine, mine's up, mine's on deck next. Uh, and so, you know, I mean, Jim brought just a ton of like process and experience actually into our world. Uh, and we brought in Todd who like, you know, also was a project manager making like audio equipment and stereo stuff. And, you know, I think, you know, when Todd came in, he was responsible mostly for like scheduling and like big picture thinking and just helping make sure like the the process was moving and we were asking the right questions at the right time and just keeping stuff in line and what what ended up happening is that Todd you know made it very clear that actually he knew the business much better than me or or like any of the folks in our senior management and so like it made a ton of sense at the right time for Todd to take the hardware department which he did yeah. And he, he, you know, I moved back to software for Rock Band 3. You know, I, I managed the software team for that while Todd managed all of the design and manufacture for the keyboard, for the Mustang, for the Squire, mm-hmm. uh, for the MIDI box, you know, for the whole suite of stuff that, that supported Rock Band 3, which in the context of our whole history may actually have been like the most ambitious rock band to hit the market. And, you know... It's interesting to contrast that with Rock Band One, which at the time was very ambitious. But well, it's it's interesting interesting to think about because if you if you look back on Harmonic's history with peripherals, you developed all of the technology to communicate with the consoles, which was huge. Right. Back when you did it, which actually allowed this team, as we matured, to take on the kind of more fun aspect of designing musical instruments no, to work with work through that technology it's like once, so it was, and and I, I also feel like we did a lot to instill a sense of expectations on the part of kind of the customer base and the development team you know about just with respect to kind of like you know what what our jobs were what your jobs were and sort of how, you know how they could support you to do your job well you know it's like okay give us a piece of software that can actually reliably test all this stuff you know there's there's all kinds of things that, you know, I think there's a lot of maturing move things forward. Mm. Um, 
But, you know, I think the thing that gets lost in the shuffle more than anything else is just the, like, the caliber of the squad that we had, you know, at our peak. And, you know, it's like you look at the talent that we had sort of on every front, you know, on the quality side, on the ID side, on the engineering side, with, the, like, all the connections that we developed. It, you know, one of, the, one of the other elements of this whole thing is that on the China side, we were fucking heroes because we presided over the most profitable years in like four factories like mm. careers really we, wow we spent a fortune over there yeah. i mean we made a lot of stuff yep. and you know we made a lot of stuff in the face of like you know diminishing business in the toy industry you know and 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 so i think you know we to this day i, I mean all of us command like you know if we ever go to hong kong we have a place to stay and people take us out to dinner and, you know, it's, <laughs> That's you awesome. know, we have, we have deep friends over there who, you know, helped us build this whole thing. And, and that's, yeah, there's a, there's a, there was a huge team over in Hong Kong and China basically yeah. helping us get this, this done. I mean, Daniel talks to the, to the sort of small crew here at harmonics, but we, we really did manage a, a, a substantially sized team in in both China and Hong Kong just support staff logistics like well, so project let's, let's management, talk like. about that because that's really interesting I think yeah. it's like this the size of you know just the relationships that we had all right so we had uh, we had four factories right at our peak yeah, yeah. four factories wow. at our peak which actually you know we worked with the fifth factory to do the keyboard if I'm not mistaken yeah, yeah. yeah. and then there was another spot in Indonesia that for, we worked yeah. with for Fender. So there were like six manufacturers that we worked with. Not all at the same time, there was some overlap, but like at our peak, we were working with four yep. at a time. Plus we had a logistics agency that handled on-site QC, quality control. Uh, yeah, like a third-party QC. Lee and Funk. Lee and Funk, <laughs> who, it. when Andy first came in to describe them, you know, in Andy's sort of like Brooklyn accent, he's like, Leon Fung. <laughs> and everyone's like, <laughs> you know, when, when do I get to meet Leon? You know, but actually it's Mr. Lee and Mr. Fung and they like, and, and you know. And Mr. Lee and Mr. Fung have the biggest trading company in the yeah. world, isn't it? Oh my yeah. God. Get you know, they you know where they. pennies off yeah. everything. They're famous. They, in, they, they started with Black Cat Firecrackers. That was their like, that was the nice. that I have was a the Black product. Cat poster in my apartment. I could get you. I could get you some black cat. All right, stuff. sign me up. Uh, all right. <laughs> uh, but so you know, and so they in turn had like you know we had two product managers. We had a quality guy, Paul Roly Poly Paul. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking of Sam and Philip. We had Sam and Philip as well, uh, and then they all had you know on-site people at every factory. Plus we had like Bonnie and God. We had like a gajillion people who would send us these. Like, we have spreadsheets that were these booking sheets, right? That, you know, we I'll get these automated emails. Then. It's like, you know, <laughs> oh, I need an alert because there's a typhoon in the South Pacific. That means our shit's going to be late, oh, you wow. know? And I'm on, the, I'm on this mailing list, <laughs> you know? It's like weather alerts in, like, you know, off Indonesia or wherever. And, you know, and that, that was routed through this agency that we worked with. And so they had, you know, maybe 70 people working for us, all of whom, you know, when we said go, I mean, they went. I, Plus, I, we had the chips guys. Well, there's a staggering statistic that you throw out from time to time, which is like at the at the peak of manufacturing, you were doing how many containers a day out of? Uh, we were doing. We had capacity to make two hundred thousand bundles in a week. Whoa! And we never actually oh 
built that much. But like at our peak, we were, you know, 160, 170,000 in a week. And so what is there? There's like, how many bundles fit in a container? I mean, we were doing hundreds of containers. I mean, it was, yeah, it I know. Was I, I, I remember something, something like 90 plus containers, like, you know, the, the containers you yeah. see on the back of yeah. trucks, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. yeah, loading onto ships and heading out of port in a day. Oh no, I, it was at That's the point amazing. where I'd take the ferry back from China and you know you're so which is which is awesome and if you ever have the opportunity to do it you should because you're like little boats surrounded by giant boats and these giant boats are packed full of containers that have like you know christmas presents for everybody and you know i was able to sort of sit on the ferry and be like yeah that's one of ours that's one of ours Yep, those ones. Oh, China shipping. Yep, those are ours. Oh, Hyundai, those are ours. You know, and it's like you know, you could actually like see industry moving in front of wow. you. It, it, it distracts you from the fact that you're going at a breakneck, breakneck <laughs> pace through a port crowded with uh, all sorts of boats that want to ram you. <laughs> yes, you didn't notice that, did you? I know. I <laughs> it's my a little nerve-wracking. Focus <laughs> on the horizon. So, <laughs> how many nerve. people are we talking across all of these factories that that would well, that's working? so. This isn't so. Then at each factory, so so at each factory, we had a team of engineers, which you know, and then a quality team and a management team. So at each factory had maybe seven or eight people that would sit in a meeting with us, and then they had you know thousands of workers. Uh, it, we don't really count the workers because if we did, you know, it's like all of a sudden we're talking like, you know, tens of thousands of people, which is like, you know, it's like bigger than all of Viacom combined. Yeah. Uh, we had the chips guys. We had, you know, yeah. uh, we had the the compliance people. You know, we had two compliance. All these guys working. need to be coordinated, by the yeah. way. So it's, it's, uh, I have a right, headache. So this is so you know. Producer of external relationships, <laughs> like put a gun in my mouth, right? It, it, you know, that, it turned into a monster. Yeah. You know, and we oh, and we had the warehouse, like the warehouse where, like, so every factory would. It was a bonded would, warehouse. Yes. Yeah. So the, you know, they were like, oh, you know, because so the, China has a lot of very stringent import laws mm -hmm. and export laws, mm -hmm. and you know, their accounting and taxing actually is like very rigid and well organized you know they, they they have developed an infrastructure that serves manufacturing and serves it well and you know it's like i think people think of it as like the wild west or this lawless place but in fact it's incredibly regulated and so sure. one of the things that you know they all buy materials bring them into the factory with the intent to sell them outside of china and if they export them to somewhere that's not outside of China, they have to pay a tax. And if they pay a tax, then actually that, that means we have to pay a tax. Mm -hmm. So what that meant is that we couldn't have factory A build a guitar and send it to factory B to get mixed in with a drum. Because then factory B would have maybe be able to sell factory A's guitar and you know the paperwork yeah. just gets weird. So what we had to do is send, have factory A send their guitars to a warehouse, factory B's send their drums to a warehouse, have a crew there mm -hmm. to unpack them from the temporary packaging, pack them into the actual packaging, yeah, and pack them into warehouse. a container. And, and this warehouse is special in the sense that it has to be bonded, which means it has customs on the way in and the way out. So, it, you know, when we yeah. went to bundles, it was like, we, ju we just figured, oh, no, it'll be awesome. We'll have a bundle. It'll have everything in it. And it was like, <laughs> well, yeah. but we have four factories building all this stuff because there's no way one factory can s satisfy our demand. And, oh, my God, what happens if that factory has a fire? We have, like, nothing. We need to diversify. It's really important. 
So, in the, <laughs> I had this amazing meeting, which I've told you guys about, but it's like, here we conduct all our business in this hotel in a know-nothing town in southern China. China and Dongguan City. Wow. Yes. <laughs> and so, you know, I was just... It's I was actually a rather nice town. And the hotel was pretty nice. Yeah, Famous in China. <laughs> <laughs> the the Haiyu. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a counterfeit Hyatt yeah, hotel. Yeah. Happy Hyatt. Yeah. Uh, it's an I. The um, Hyatt. The you know. So we're like, oh, we need bundles and we need them fast. So Andy's like, all right, I think I have a guy we can call. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, is this guy reliable? Does he have a bond? And I'm like, I don't know what a bond is. What's a bond? You know? And he's like, no, but we can get one. I'm like. Okay, so we go to we we actually go on a visit, and I'm like, dude, there's nothing here. He's like, no, we're building the we're building the warehouse, and I'm like, that's not gonna do. We need a warehouse that's like built because we have containers coming in a couple of weeks. Like, we'll pay, we'll make this happen. So we go back to the hotel, and he, you know, Andy makes this phone call, and I walk into a room, one of the conference rooms, actually the conference room mm. that's like off the side. And there's like a 6'4 Canadian guy who's stacked, like this enormous gangster-looking guy in this like immaculate black suit with this beautiful Chinese woman who's like playing on her phone and like biting her nails. And they're like, hi. And I'm like, I'm the guy. How you doing? I'm Daniel. We need a bonded warehouse. And he's like, I have a guy. So then he makes a phone call and in stumbles this face Chinese guy. Stanley, who's like, Stanley. who's, you know, he's he's like, hey, what's up? You know, and his eyes are all glazed and like, you know, he's got a backpack with like dollar bills sticking out of it. And just like, it's like so sketchy, right? And and Stephen, his like the the gangster guy, is like, so Stanley, um, we need your warehouse, and like, I've never seen such a vivid transformation in my life. Like his eyes, like. Crystallize, and he, you know, it's like a suit emerges from his clothes. He sits down, and he's like, "What kind of warehouse?" <laughs> <laughs> he's like, "Bonded." He's like, "I think I can do that." What are the terms? <laughs> wow. You know, and and meanwhile, I'm sitting back, being like, "This is crazy." <laughs> if Mike Dornbrook was here, he'd have a heart attack. <laughs> like, if anybody back home saw what was going on, and you know. So I then walk out with Stanley, we go to the bar, I buy him a drink, and I'm like, look, I don't think you understand the gravity of what we're talking about, the quantity we're talking about, like, I promise you we'll make this worth your while, I don't know what I'm doing, we need your help, do this as a favor to Andy, who, you know, he'd worked with, like, you know, for years and years and years. Uh, I can get you a check for, like, a small percent, but like, you know, we'll work this whole thing out. Like, can you have a meeting with my factories? We'll work out a plan. We'll get this going. We need it up and running in like three weeks. And he was like, okay. <laughs> and like three weeks later, we had a fucking warehouse, you know? And it was like, we had all these like epic meetings in the hotel restaurant actually, where we had like yeah. 30 people around a giant table, a round table with a huge like 14 foot like lazy susan in the middle with all these like silent waiters who would bring food in all i needed was a golden telephone to make me feel like i was actually in the mafia and we're discussing like you know like every factory is like how am i going to get paid and how am i going to make sure that their quality team at the warehouse because you know mm -hmm. 
Stanley's team had their own quality to, to you know, it's like nobody want to get, wants to get stuck with defective goods right. anywhere along the chain. And at the end of the day, we're responsible for stuff. And so we want to make sure that everyone's being super rigid at every point of entry. So like out of the factory, we want like a real good percentage case that like everything is good. We check it all when it comes into the warehouse. We do a quality check before it goes out of the warehouse. And like, you know, at each one of those opportunities, at each one of those stages, there's an opportunity for somebody to send something back or to reject something, at which point they're you know, you get into all of this, like... It gets to be really business complicated, mm -hmm. right? So And and they're arguing over pennies. <coughs> yep. And well, be because pennies add up. Yeah. When we're talking uh, about yeah. the quantities we're talking about. Sure. We're talking about putting 250,000 bundles through a warehouse. If you've got, you know, 250,000 so you know, pennies that stack up, it, yeah. it adds up. So we're, we have all these meetings where everyone's, like, jabbering away in Chinese, and I'm just like... <laughs> serenity now. Serenity now. <laughs> like, please... Let this not get all f***ed up. And, like, at some point, you know, they'd be like, Daniel, what do you think? And I'm like, look, we just have to work this out. Can I get anybody some tea? <laughs> and, like, you know, we did it. And, you know, it was, you know, people, I mean, it was, it was remarkable. People yeah. worked, we got, like, what we accomplished was outrageous, not just on this part of, like, you know, what we were able to ship into the U.S. and, like, you know, what our like actual quality percentages end up being it's more like the amount of adversaries that we got to work together in china for a common good for our common good you know well, all the meanwhile while we had like viacom who was you know f for all of their deep pockets they have a very rigid accounting structure and so you know telling them that like hey guys i need a check for a hundred thousand dollars or else we don't have anything like that's you know there's there's that takes time to get processed as an ask and you know well one of the fascinating things to me is as a person coming on kind of kind of later after Daniel had started to put together the team that he was mentioning earlier is that like talking to Daniel and and the team about how they brought Rock Band 1 to market and the 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 time frames that they were under to do it as a sort of hardware professional uh walking into that it, it kind of blew my mind because the scale at which they pulled off manufacturing the fact that they were able to, to get it working much less working as well as it did was just it's frankly amazing and and epic i think is a word they used a few times that i think is apt in the description yeah. well but again in the context of like where everything went and just sort of the behemoth that rock band has become you know it's like you know i think that very few people understand just sort of how tenuous the situation was on rock band one but like over time like you know, I'm I'm really proud of the way in which we actually turned that like super shoot from the hip approach into something. You know, it's like I actually I had this like poignant moment where um, I had an opportunity to look at the spec, the MIDI spec for the um, for the MIDI box, which is this like Good piece of literature. It's like 16 <laughs> pages mm -hmm. of like you know pin description and like protocol like protocol that 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 you know, that you guys wrote that is so professional, you know, and like, you know, compare that to the like napkin like <laughs> drawings of like, you know, like what the like, you know, the Adams module was going to look like for the RB1 wireless guitar. I mean, it, it's just it's like I was very it was it was deeply satisfying to sort of 
like step back from the hardware development world and and watch you guys like do like triple a quality work um yeah you know and it, you know i think the proof is in the pudding right it's like i'm i it, you know the the keyboard and the mustang are awesome and the fact mm-hmm. the fact that they are as like fully functional as they are not just in the game but like as midi controllers and you yeah know, well i mean it was actually it was kind of fun i mentioned it earlier but it was kind of fun dealing with uh, building a musical instrument. Like those were a majority of the issues we dealt with as a team were really around like the action of the keyboard, like making sure it felt authentic, making sure to your point before that the the MIDI protocol was like adequate. Mm-hmm. It was like fun to play, and uh, it's kind of a, a different a different vibe than the just trying to get it logistics yeah and, and, mm-hmm. well well the, the logistics were set up ahead of time right. i mean it's like all that that difficult work that daniel's been describing it, like that we walked into a situation where that was all done mm-hmm. for us right. and we, we could sort of like daydream about how awesome it would be to to figure out a way to make a real guitar and we did we spent our time yeah. on those kinds of problems and they're hard problems in and of themselves with their own challenges but uh but you know that groundwork made but we didn't have to worry about that. We didn't have to worry mm-hmm. about relationships with first party because they 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 saw us do it on yeah. previous iterations. Mm-hmm. We just had to tell them what we were doing and why we were doing it. You know. No, we command a ton of respect. You know, in 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 the manufacturing world, actually, the sort of behind the yep. scenes, like chip engineering world, on the first party side. You know, in Asia, obviously, but you know, I think a lot of people were very uh, impressed with what what we did and just the, the caliber of work. You know, even it's funny. It's like you know. You talk to the guys at Mad Cats who, you know, are really carrying the torch now, and I think they have a deep appreciation for the engineering work that came out of kind of your team, given that they're like, they're building that stuff now, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it's got the Mad Cats brand on it, and in fact, it, it brings tremendous value to their company, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's like they, they're, we've worked with them for a long time, and, you know, I, I have a lot of close friends over there, but, you know, I, I sort of... It, it, sh- it should be no secret that the heavy lifting for the industrial and mechanical design of all of the Rock Band 3 stuff that has the Mad Cats brand on it came out of Harmonix Minds. I mean, that's all that's all Matt Reinick and, and Derek and Todd yeah. and you yeah. guys. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. sure it's is. awesome. Yeah. So, Nate, I, I wanted to ask you specifically, being the sole quality control guy on the Harmonix end of things, I know Daniel said there's points at every, you know, uh, uh, factory and warehouse and all that. How much pressure was that on you? Like, just thinking about that gives me stress nightmares. Mm. <laughs> well, I I never say that I'm the only quality guy because when you have like as lean a team as we did, you know, everyone's concerned about quality. And Jim, you know, Jim's a quality guy. I mean, we brought Jim on because he was a quality mm-hmm. guy. Um, and and he's good yes. at quality too. And he's good, yeah, very good at that. <laughs> he's a quality guy because he's good at quality. But, but we did we did send you to Detroit because Iran had a dream. You did, Iran did have a dream. What? Did, it was Memphis. What? This is awesome. <laughs> Sorry, it was Memphis. This is amazing. Detroit. No, so this is a story of process breaking down. Yeah, just for what it's it. worth. Let's hear it. I think it was just an oversight more than anything breaking down. No, no, I mean breaking down that somebody can have a dream that manifests going <laughs> oh, yeah. to a warehouse. Yeah. Like, this is not the way we work. Yeah. I, it, no, it was like out of a movie. We're sitting around the room having our team meeting, and one of the, someone walked in and just looked flustered. Iran had a bad dream. 
everything's going to be broken. Who was that someone? I think it was Greg. <laughs> oh, no. I think it was Mr. Was it, Ma. Was it John Ma? I believe oh, it was Johnny Ma. Johnny, Johnny Ma has Johnny. not come up in this conversation yet. Johnny Ma. Johnny Ma. Yeah, I guess I guess the seniors were in a meeting, and Iran had had a dream the night before, kind of an anxiety dream because of things being broken and... Rock Band One, and this is during P9. This is during Beatles. One of you know, one of our definitely more successful launches. You know, the gu- guitars were awesome; they worked mm-hmm. great. The drums were awesome, and Iran had this anxiety dream because you know a certain you know, at one point there was a shipment that got damaged in between being shipped and it arriving. So the quality Very check yeah. on on the China side didn't apply to the instruments when they got here. And, yeah. Well, so just to dig into that, like, as a variable that we had to deal with, you know, when you have a container on a boat that's traveling from Southern Asia to the United States, it undergoes a whole host of extremes with respect to temperature and humidity and whatever else. And generally, the containers are sealed, but depending on where this container is on the boat, Maybe it's getting a bunch of like salty spray because mm-hmm. it's on the outside, mm-hmm. and that salty spray gets into the container because it's an older container and the whatever, and then that salty spray gets into the packaging in some way, and there's salty residue on some internal component that you know it's like who the f- <laughs> hell knows what the hell happens to you while it's on boats? Like we don't know. <laughs> well, I think that's yeah, the like point. I mean, we, we, we like to yeah. we like to phrase it in the joking. Iran had a dream, so we sent Nate there, but it was really just all about yeah. double yeah. checking the yeah. vari- double checking the variables before a big launch. Right. But it's, it's sort of funny how it how it always. Yeah. The, the fact that that was how it all came out was pretty hysterical, and so <laughs> literally that that afternoon, I like. I, call, I remember calling my mom that night and I'm like, hey, mom, I'm in Memphis. <laughs> I'm going to go into a warehouse tomorrow and, you know, play as many drums as I can play, play in eight hours. Oh, my yep. God. Um, so let me, so just to circle back to Johnny Ma, uh, Johnny Ma, our first introduction to him, he's, so he's an older guy kind of who has a, a, a pretty long and storied history in game distribution. Uh, he's from Beijing and he, new people at MTV and at harmonics kind of at the senior level he worked with Bob Pasanko at MTV and he worked with Mike Dornbrook uh, and he was brought on early as like a guy with he runs a game development studio out of Beijing he does like you know he he understands kind of the China world pretty well in terms of kind of software manufacturing distribution not so much like mechanical engineering and product development on the like hardware side more bit more business and mm-hmm. more business but so we we hired him in RB1 he was one of three actual independent consultants who stepped in to look over our shoulder and just make sure that we weren't like making it up as we were going along which is ironic well, how did that go? because we <laughs> we were and they noticed that but they also were like no it seems like you're doing it all pretty much the right way so and we were like you <laughs> you know, it was like this like insane victory for our little team to have these like professionals come in and yeah. acknowledge that we were, we're actually doing it the right way. How rock and roll of you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I didn't, I, those, that's more of a, you know, I didn't use those exact words. Uh, so, so then actually Johnny came on, he was hired by MTV to kind of manage the distribution side uh, out of New York. And uh-huh. as such, he had a lot of very interesting interactions both with kind of the China side, you know, he spent a lot of time in Asia out of our mm-hmm. Hong Kong office and also on the product side where, you know, he would ask 
very strange questions about what we were doing and just, try, you know, poke in to understand more about, like, chip design and, you know, whatever else. He, you know, he, he, he uh, you know, he developed a very close relationship, I think, with all of us. Mm. Isn't he currently going around the world with Mike Dornbrook on this crazy vacation Dornbrook's doing? I, I, you know what? I have no idea because I don't get like I don't know if Dornbrook's keeping a blog or whatever. Yes, it's called the Dorn Blog. www.dornblog dash Dornblog. Dornblog Dornblog. I don't know why. <laughs> Mike is not great with technology. <laughs> yeah, Dornblog dash Dornblog dot so blogspot. Was Dornblog was so let me, so let, let's talk a little bit about Mike because Mike was another guy. You know, he's like he he was like senior management at Harmonix. He was I think like the fourth hire of the company. Mm -hmm. He's famous for such games as Zork, Zork which oh, again, yeah. you know, while, while Andy will talk about Barbie fashion designer, <laughs> so Mike, Mike will talk, talk about, about yep. Zork. Uh, they, like, you know, Mike really was instrumental in, like, getting all of this up. And, you know, he had the balls to sign every PO that we made for RB1 in a economic climate. I mean, I think he actually put his name on. Yeah, right. Here's, you know, here's $4 million dollars for tooling. Right. And mm -hmm. if he hadn't, if he, if he had been less ambitious about sort of, you know, taking the initiative, you know, we would have had nothing. And, you know, I, I think, so he, he's now, he bought an around the world ticket and he's, he's <laughs> cheaper than you might expect too. some well-deserved vacation. But like, you know, as you know, he was one of, like, he was actually the only guy for the first, like through, through P9 development, through Beatles development, actually, who had ever been to China. And so I think of all of the folks that were sort of on the software side here, you know, he he knew that world the best. And, you know, he would spend his waking hours trying to figure out how to, like, stuff more boxes into a container and getting into packaging design and, like, never trying to... never did get Greg to go, huh? Greg never went. <laughs> no, Greg never went. Alex went. Alex went. Uh, Florian, Florian went. went. I was on that um, trip. And that's it. <laughs> You know, Justin and then, went. Yeah, no, we were able to actually take a handful of people. I'll tell you, it was yeah. such an awesome thing just to get back there and see behind the curtains. And, that was amazing. You know, I, I remember the first time I went to um, <clears throat> Early Light, the one factory. I don't even want to say factory names. Anyways, uh, oh, really? they make all of the toys. Yeah. All of the toys. And you walk into this one room and there's a showroom of everything. Oh, we were talking yeah. about this. Like, it's yeah. like, it's heaven. This is like where a nine-year-old boy <laughs> wants to go when he dies. <laughs> at the age of nine. At yeah. the age of nine. That doesn't okay. sound right. No, uh, but it is, it, is, it is paradise. And like, even for me, I'm like, Look at all the Star Trek guys they have. Look at all the stuffed animals. Hot Look wheels. at all the Legos, all the Hot Wheels. All oh, they yeah. have, like, I had that Optimus Prime voice changer in 1986. And, <laughs> and it's right it's there. It's still there. And then they had things like, wow. you know, Look, cast things. iron swords. Yeah. Oh, and then there's the singing Elvis, yeah. right? Yes, the, the Elvis, Elvis head. The Elvis head, and the gorilla like, yeah, head. They had the all basketball. these robotics. They did all the, uh, <laughs> what were those pet Sounds dinosaurs like you could get? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, the, the Robo Sapien. They had the little robot the dog Fu. thing. That a lot of animatronic, like Kung Fu Panda animatronics. And train yeah. sets like, and like all of it. They, I mean, it's like, it's literally, it's like people basketball. ask you, like, yeah. where is Santa's workshop? <laughs> it's in and China. It is in Shenzhen, China. China. It's like, it's where it is. It's like everything. Early Light Factory. And it's awesome. Kind of a long drive to get there, but it's fun when you arrive. So to sort of 
Oh, and the food. We didn't even talk about the food. The food, yeah. Oh, the, the dumplings. Oh, man. Foot massages. Yeah. Wow. All right, so my, my last piece of advice <laughs> is be very careful. If you find yourself in southern China, be careful with the hot pot. Go on. No, no, I'm just, that, I think, just be careful. All right. And soup dumplings. No, the soup, soup dumplings, dumplings are awesome. They're well, very don't, be careful. don't be careful, the soup dumplings. Eat, eat, eat a million of those because they're amazing. The hot pot... Maybe but you gotta violent. make sure things are pretty well cooked there, Daniel. And just it look at like who else is dipping there. their chopsticks in the yeah. broth. <laughs> are you, all right. <laughs> okay. That sounds like a, like a metaphor for life. <laughs> wow. Uh, wait, wait, you were gonna ask a question. Um, just trying to steer us towards a conclusion. We'll probably break oh, this into there. a two-parter, which is fine. Um, Nick has a lot of editing to do. <laughs> uh, it's all gold. Yeah. It's all gold. <laughs> no, I think you can't say f Right. He has to put in a rock band sound effect every time you say <laughs> beep. <laughs> well, no, we use like the instrument, like pa-chow. Really? Yep. Rock band. Use whatever. Or you can do Tisher. Can you just use the word? <laughs> you like you could overdub it? the word fudge. <laughs> All right. Fudge. Anyway, we yet we digress. Yeah. What's your conclusion, um, Pope? So. <laughs> so starting with Guitar Hero, up through Rock Band Three, we went from these little tiny really unrealistic, clacky controllers to what has now been released and people are buzzing about online, the Fender Squire, which is pretty remarkable in the span of four years, four years to go from what's essentially a toy, if you look at the original guitars, to an actual working guitar that you can plug into an amp. I just wonder if you have any any philosophical thoughts on 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 the road that we've taken here as 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 the harmonics hardware department. I feel like it was inevitable. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that was always kind of a thought in the back of everyone's mind of like music games should get people playing music. Mhm. Mm or can get play people mm -hmm. playing music. What's a way for us to like help them do that? I, I yes, I agree. <laughs> I would just like to point out that it doesn't just happen. And, like, you know, like, that progression was born of, like, you know, blood and sweat and, like, desperate hours in desperate places by, you know, all of the folks on our team and, you know, in, in kind of this hidden world of manufacturing. Like, the, the, if I don't think there's any way to describe how hard we worked to get to where we are and i mean at the end of the day how intensely proud i am and i think everybody is of of that progression i think it's an amazing accomplishment and so yes i think it was inevitable because it is the natural place for for things to go it's like mm -hmm. you know particularly for this company and like given everything that we do and kind of what we like how we approach music and technology and kind of the video game vehicle that sort of frames everything but like it doesn't just happen i mean you yeah, know it's a good marrying of, of vision and execution and, and i think that an effort you know I yeah, mean, it's, yeah a lot of effort. now yeah. how early along could you have predicted that we would have gotten here though like the idea of an actual guitar working in the game um I don't know. I'm not a fortune teller. No, sure. You know, I'm not in the business of like predicting. But what, like for what for example, I started on RB2 development, and I remember like people would ask it as like a pie in the sky thing. Like, could this ever happen? And the answer was like, no, no way. They, what? <laughs> that I was I wasn't in like the, the the these like 
vision meetings that you clearly were. You know, I don't think you know. My my sense actually is that you know, while I think you know, Alex and Iran and Greg would like me to sit here and say like, yes, actually, this was the <laughs> result of a five year business plan <laughs> where we were really we had this vision and we, we executed along right, milestones right. and well organized decisions. It was really like <laughs> you know, we get to the end of one project and we say, all right, where do we want to go? Mm -hmm. We get to the end of the next project, we say, okay, what would be what, you know, what could we do? Mm -hmm. What would be cool? Yeah. And I think as we got into Rock Band 3, you know, Rock Band 3 really was this, like, you know, we are all in on this category. And we have on, to do something that's, like, jaw-dropping. And early on, we weren't sure how to, to meet the vision. I mean, yeah. it's like the, the vision was there. What we wanted to do was there. And to, to your point, yeah. like, it's a natural progression. It's where we wanted to go. Yep. But actually getting there was, to Daniel's point, like, it's a lot of hard work. And, sure. and that execution was, it was painful. It was, we had to figure out how to do it. Was it Derek or Reinick who first uh, put together that that prototype? Uh, it was like both of them actually. We sent them down um, to work with a, a guy, Tim Shaw from mm -hmm. Fender. Oh, you're talking about yeah. the Squire prototype. Yeah, yeah. So, so we we sent them down. I think it was summer, like a, summer a, like 18 months ago, yeah. kind of summertime. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so we sent them down to work with a, a guy that worked with us through the through the project from Fender. Tim so that's Shaw. like 2010. Ten. Yep. Yes. Summer 2010. Yeah, like August, June, July, August 2010. No, 2009. 2009. Wait. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. 2010 is like yes. six months okay. ago. Okay. So, 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 yeah, we sent we sent both of them down. And, and so Derek basically worked out the electronics, and Reinick worked out like an early iteration of how we would build that fingerboard, which at the yeah. time we had no idea. We just sort of like put a stabbed together and, mm -hmm. and it you know we we made something that was playable for i think it was six frets yeah, yeah. it was, so it was, it was functional it could it could you know and basically that, play and it was sort of our proof of concept like hey this could work right that was also i mean I, you know matt bach had done a lot of like crazy yep. conceptualizing about like you know what that technology could be there were you know <laughs> yeah like, there's a lot know, of different options organ and like all of these sort of weird 70s instruments that <laughs> like yeah, we sort of take apart and inspect and like hack up, and then we had, we had to decide between having like some sort of heuristic that that looked at your hand and tried to figure out where you where yeah. your hand was, and doing it what what I like to term as a brute force way that we we actually did, where we're actually just like measuring contacts to the fret. Mm -hmm. And so uh, yeah, Matt helped us through that concept phase, and then and then we sent uh, Matt Reinick and Matt. And uh, and Derek down to work with Fender to, to bang out that first prototype, which really had no resemblance in how we ended up doing it in the end. But it was like that first step that kind of excited Fender and excited us yeah. and kind of made us decide to like pursue it in earnest. Well, I mean, so you know, I was on the software team at that point, so that prototype shows up, and I was like, I mean, it was an emotional moment for me to sort of see the result of all of this stuff and actually plug it into the system that we were still building, you know, on the software side and sort of see the marriage of like high efficiency on two fronts. I mean, it was, it was awesome. It was immensely useful for us as a hardware team to have Daniel who's been there mm -hmm. as the project lead for the software team, because, um, I mean, it takes a certain amount of creativity and vision to understand that mm -hmm. these early prototypes are exactly that. They're early prototypes. They're proving out concepts. They're proving out like a potential for a vision, and like if you can understand where that can go, you you can. It, it's a lot easier if right. you have someone in charge that does understand that. And Daniel 
could sort of see that and communicate it to the software team. Whereas I think without Daniel, we would have had a bit more of a, I don't want to say panicky, but yeah. like there, there would be like a high risk thing. It's hard to, yeah. yeah. We, we would have not. to do a lot more selling on our end about <clears throat> like, uh, yep. about how this could be realized where it was right. sort of more understood because of our history making. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, I, that's, you know, and I think that's also true kind of just as, you know, everybody had sort of been through the cycle a couple of times, you know, across the board. And so, you know, right. I, I, th I was, I was happy to sort of champion the like, difficulties of hardware development to the software team and also I, I felt like I was able to you know throw you guys a couple extra weeks of coder time to make panda work or whatever <laughs> it was you know yeah it's and it's funny because that first prototype that you bring up just it started it started the questions on that on the squire like it, you know mm -hmm. and all the problems we had to solve to get it done from redesigning a way to build next you know, and fingerboards right. to, to coming up with a cheap way to, to, to detect strums. Like, there's a lot of technology in that piece that, like, that prototype you bring up just started. That's where all the question marks started to come <coughs> from. And that's exactly what you want out of that, yep. that, yeah, it's necessary. that prototype. That's what you do it for. Yeah. Well, I feel like we should wrap things up just because we've, we've, gone, we've gone a certain length. That's a great idea. Pope. So, so yeah, we'll do that. Um, I want to thank you guys. Um, you know, maybe I'll pass if people on the forums end up having questions, pass them along to you. We can have some sort of dialogue. No. They'll probably ask why we changed the strum bar from from GH to rock band. Oh, the clicky strum bar? The, people love the clicky strum bar. Yeah, you know why? Yeah. Because we it. hate clicky strum bars, and <laughs> they're annoying, and you don't want to hear someone playing a video game from the second floor. There you go. You heard it here first, folks. Unless, and that's not, unless that's you're not, playing drums. That's not a genius okay. idea <laughs> for me. This is like, this is Alex Robbins. This is like, you know, if, we can, if there's one thing we can do to improve the guitar from Guitar Hero to Rock Band, it's to create a strum bar that's quiet. And so we that sent us down this whole exploration of different technologies that could be used to actually minimize the noise that you make mm -hmm. when uh, you know whatever. Pope, we could go on forever. I know, yeah. I know. Yeah, there's more. There's a lot more stories, <laughs> so you should just like forcefully cut us off. I think. <laughs> I know, but it's so good. I want to. Every time you guys start into another story, I want to hear where it goes. Oh. We'll make our own podcast. Yeah. We'll do like a live stream, a day-long live stream. We can't talk about the good stories. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just like, yeah, get Twitter feeds going for questions and just go back. Actually, I did, before we wrap up, I, uh, no, this is real quick, because uh, I mentioned this at the top, it's like none of you guys now are in the roles that you were when you were developing this hardware, all doing different things. It's sort of like high school and everyone goes and graduates and does their own thing. Um, well, there was this tragic moment, I think, yeah. in the, you know, where, you know, at the, at, the, yeah. at the pinnacle of our accomplishments, you know, we, here we are, we've just, you know, seen all of this great product development, you know, these amazing new products that interacted with software in a way that nobody imagined they would ever, you know, We understood work. how to build, build and manufacture in, in China. And, and, distribute, and distribute, and kind of, we understood the business, you know, we were finally at the point where... We could make this be profitable, and then all of a sudden, kind of in the business world, all these things started to happen. Where you know, obviously, like you know, Viacom was, you know, less excited about pouring millions of dollars into the Rock Band franchise, you know, and eventually sold the company. Uh, you had Mad Cats, who was very hungry for kind of 
you know, a, a licensing deal, which actually made a ton of sense. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you saw this sort of like peak and then the fall where it was like we'd, we'd built this world-class team and at the end of the day, Harmonix is in the business of software development and without sort of kind of, you know, you know, I don't even know how to say it, but, you know, it's like it, it was it was pretty clear that all of the invention that we'd kind of poured into kind of Rock Band 3 was going to have a lifespan and we weren't necessarily in a place where we wanted to kind of fund internal development of new hardware. Right. And, and we also had fostered a relationship with Mad Cats where even if we wanted to did mm -hmm. that, if we wanted to get into that, we could through them and you know so we had this crack team of people who we had like you know we really wanted a place and you know not you know some some folks have moved on to you know bigger and brighter things and uh you know outside the company and and some folks some are still stuck here some are still stuck here <laughs> my hope actually you know it's like you know everybody's you know including me has ended up doing like fairly interesting things that yeah. i feel like mm -hmm. have sort of stretched, you know, their background. You know, I don't know if people want to talk about yeah, what Yeah, like you've been doing on. project lead stuff. You know, Jim is yeah. lending his talents to, like, the design team here. Mm -hmm. Yep. I've never worked on stuff that didn't have masks before. This is so exciting. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> nice. I like if that. you get it wrong, nobody will die. <laughs> Here's hoping. It's true. That's you been know, the amazing I don't know. for me. It's just like the consequences are much lighter yeah yeah well so and if i you know, screw up it's not millions of dollars yeah. right so you're 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 heading our web team now yeah uh well so i'm, I'm that... doing production back end yeah part right of the web team and and uh and some of the uh, game back end cool which strikes me also as like another role that is like you know i don't know how many people have like developed an appreciation for just how deep our website actually is and the machine behind it and sort of you know all of the facility and kind of utility in that world is I mean it's a complicated machine that I think people look at and are like oh what a pretty website but like there's a whole backstory there that is the subject of I'm sure another podcast <laughs> yep <laughs> we'll do that one next time <laughs> and Nate and Nate, and there's, and then there's I actually, Nate. I secretly run the company, right? Yes. But no right. one, no secrets one, out. <laughs> now secrets out. Awesome. Well, uh, I still again, speak Chinese though. So yeah. What was the name of that Nihau. city? Nihao. What was the name of that city? Uh, it's the town of Chang'an in the city of Dongguan, Dongguan, oh. Dongguan City. Okay, you said it really fast. I thought it was all just one Chang'an, word. Dongguan, 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 Chang'an. Yep. That. <laughs> You're just making it up. <laughs> That's all right. Those are uh, words. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate it. I think people will find this very interesting. All right, folks. Thank you. Alright guys, so uh, here is your DLC announcement for the week. We've got DLC for both Rock Band and the Dance Central. Both of these will be coming out on the 15th, which is Tuesday. Uh, for Rock Band, we've got four tracks. We've got Shooting the Moon by OK Go, Every Breath You Take by The Police, and So Lonely by The Police, which is my personal favorite police song, BT-dubs, uh, and Spill the Wine from War, which is a kind of an awesome track. War, War... 
War is a really cool band to look into if you're not familiar with them. They're, they sort of did the um, multicultural world music fusion, like funk, funk fusion with rock before anyone even, even thought of that as a thing. Uh, they're a really cool band from the, uh, the, the, the 70s. Um, Eric Burden from the Animals actually sang for, with War for a while. So Spill the Wine by War. Uh, Pro Guitar is available. Pro Guitar and Bass is available for Every Breath You Take, which is obviously a huge hit from the police. So that's... Oh, and uh, okay, uh, OK Goes, Shooting the Moon, Every Breath You Take, and Spill the Wine all have keys authored in them as well. Uh, for Dance Central, we've got four awesome tracks. Uh, we've got Fatboy Slim's Weapon of Choice. You might recall the uh, Christopher Walken video. Where he's dancing. Um, Gwen Stefani's Hollaback Girl. Carrie Hilson's Turning Me On. And Paula Abdul's Straight Up. Um, Paula Abdul is a no-brainer for Dance Central. So that should be really fun. I have not played those routines myself. But look forward to them grabbing them on the 15th on Tuesday. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot.